Today is the last day in this series on developing spiritual habits. I'm really excited about the next series we're going to start. And I want to uh, kind of promote to you this morning. Several months ago, I listened to a podcast and downloaded an audiobook on what it means to be a good church member. Now hear me out. Because you're going, I've been going to this church my whole life. I'm a good church member. Okay. What is it real? What are God's expectations on his people? So I downloaded the audiobook and I listened to it. It's about an hour long. And then I bought the book for all of us. One's one in every for every family in the back. It simply says, I am a church member, put out by Lifeway Resources. And over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of take a look at the principles in this book and, and as he's talking. And uh, we're going to examine that in light of us. Am I really being the kind of church member that God wants me to be? And maybe you're saying, well, I'm not a member of the church. I'm not talking about membership. We're talking about member of the body of Christ. What does it mean if I say I go to this church and I'm plugging in, I'm an active part of this church. I may not have signed the role and said I'm a member of Mount States, but you're a part of what we do because you come on a regular basis and you're an active participant in what we do as a body of Christ here at Mount States. What does that mean? I'm talking to you and I'm talking to myself as well. So the next several weeks, we're going to kind of hash this out and unpack this a little bit and to lay the groundwork on your way out today, pick up a copy of this book on the, on the back table there. One for every family. Okay, and it's a short, I think it's like 60 pages, 670 pages. You can read that. Even Dave can read that in an hour. And he's more of an audiobook kind of guy. Now, if you want to get an audiobook, go and get it. It's available on Amazon. It's cheap. Go and grab a copy of it. Throw it on your, in, your, in your car and way to and from work. You can listen to it on and one, time, one hour in rush hour. <laughs> you can get it done. Some great information there. We're going to go through it and begin looking at this over the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to set this down here so I'm not distracted as well. I want to encourage you guys to... I'm looking forward to this next few weeks as we go through that. Living the extravagant life. When I first told Regina, I said, here's our next couple of topics. I'm talking about extravagant giving last week, and then this week we're talking about extravagant living. She goes, oh, I like that. I like this extravagant living idea. Yeah, I can, be, I can live me some extravagant life. Jet set into France, jet set into Jamaica, going back to the Far East. She says, I'm all about the extravagant living, but unfortunately, honey, it's not what we're talking about this morning. Not in that, not in that category, not in that lifestyle. We think about extravagant living. It's the clothes, the cars, all these kinds of things. But really when we're talking about extravagant living in the body of Christ, we're talking about if extravagant giving was giving of ourselves, giving of our finances, and doing with them as God wants us to, be, to do with them, not as I want them to be used, but as God wants them to be used. We're talking about extravagant living, living life, as God wants me to live it. Living life in community as the body of Christ. Y'all see a theme here that's going on that where God's taking us this spring? Living life together as the body of Christ 
in community, working together, living together, struggling and striving together, in giving of ourselves in an extravagant manner that we don't consider necessarily what's best for me, but we consider what is best for the next person, the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you, or if you're sitting on the front row, the person sitting behind you, or two rows behind you, because nobody's sitting on this second row. I'm not sure what's going on there. How do we give of ourselves to really benefit another person, to benefit our spouse, to benefit our kids, to benefit our friends? How do we give ourselves to become transparent and become vulnerable? I don't know about you guys, but I don't like to be vulnerable. I, I like to keep, I got my, I've, I've worked hard over the past 49 years to make this wall as solid. You know, Trump talks about the great wall across the southern border. I've been working hard for 49 years to build this wall and make it so you guys see the best of me. And so that I've keeping all that's private within and I only put forth what I really want you to see. I only put forth what I really want others to think about me. As we look this morning in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And if you're not much of a Bible person, Hebrews is, is, is a book. We don't really know who the author was. We have ideas. We think it might be Paul. I think it may have been two or three other authors. But we don't really have, we don't really can't say 100% this is the author of Hebrews. But what the author does in Hebrews, he unpacks this great God that we worship. It shows how Christ is better than all of the traditions, all of the law. Christ is better. Christ is greater than all these things that we bring into our relationships, all this baggage that we bring into life. And in Hebrews chapter 10, he kind of brings it to a, a point here. He says, Christ is greater because we are a part of him as the body of Christ. We come together in the body of Christ and we worship him together. This great God, this great Jesus that we serve who's greater than the Old Testament, greater than the prophets, greater than the law, greater than all these traditions that we bring into church. But we get to experience him together. And here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the author is exhorting us to make sure we are living life together. To make sure that we are worshiping together. To make sure that we don't push others out and try to live this life by ourselves. You've all heard the phrase, no man is an island, right? We've talked about it before in here. That is temptation. That's the temptation for every one of us to get my Bible, to go into my little corner, to live my life and do live it all by myself or just with my family and to not let others in because I'm a very private person, because I've got my own baggage, because I don't want to be vulnerable. Vulnerability, we feel weak, don't we? When I'm vulnerable before Dave and Jody, or I'm vulnerable before Rich and Kathy, or I'm vulnerable before any of the rest of you, and I share 
Some of you have expressed to me, David, you get up there, you just got to share who you are from the pulpit. You know, I've forgotten this, or I'm struggling with this sin, or I've got this issue. Why do you do that? Because I'm trying to model vulnerability to my church. I want you to see that I'm not perfect. I stand up here on the platform, and some of you, when we were missionaries and travel around, we, we would, they would always lift the, oh, the missionaries are so holy, so righteous, so spiritual. Oh, and they put us up on pedestals. We walk into the church, and your kids can do no wrong, and your, your wife looks so beautiful, and you're so not so handsome, David, but we let you come anyway. And they put us up on these pedestals, and we even came back here to Mountain States as we traveled back, and oh, these are our missionaries, and Billy and Joe would lift us up, and there's our missionaries traveling on the field. They represent us, and look at them. Don't you want to be like them? And we do the same thing with our missionaries who come through, don't we? And because we want to give everybody something to strive for, but you know that every single one of us have struggles. We're not where we need to be. Satan still kicks us for a loop from time to time, more times than I care to admit. But we need to be vulnerable with one another, to be willing to help other, let others help us confront our issues. So this morning, as we look in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to start reading in verse 19, and then it's going to pick up here with these verses on the screen. And the author is writing to the to the church. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, isn't that awesome? That we can have the confidence because of what Christ did for us, first of all, that we can enter into the holy place and approach God himself as his children. We're no longer limited to just looking, standing outside the temple and going, oh yeah, there's a great God in there somewhere. But now, we can enter into the holy place and approach God. Let's go on. He says, approach by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Talking about when the curtain was ripped when he died on the cross. It says, since, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we've all been washed. We have all been washed by the blood of Christ. If you are a child of God, you've been washed clean. Clean by the pure water. Not the stuff you get out of the tap. Definitely not the stuff that we drank in China or that came out of our tap in China. Even the bottled water that we get is not pure water. It says, we have been washed by the pure water, by the blood of Christ. Everything is gone. It's taken away. We no longer have to worry about it again. Because we come to Jesus clean and fresh, verse 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What's that confession? What's the author talking about? That confession that we made about Christ, that confession that we made about our sinfulness and that we confessed that we got on our knees before God and we said, God, I am but a worm. Forgive me. And Christ made us clean. And we're confessing that God is all, He is in all, and He's all we need. 
our confession. Author says, hold fast to that confession in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord God, this morning as we unpack this, as we look at your word, I pray, Father, that you would challenge us and and encourage us and, and, and bring us to the point of the cross where we recognize our need, first of all, for you, to get our lives clean before you, to be freed of our sins and to be freed of the power of sin in our life today. But secondly, also, Lord, the need that we have for one another to live with one another, to encourage one another, to be in community with one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Those are some hard words. Those are some fun words, as the author wrote this morning. So let's unpack that a little bit this morning. Let's just do that together, would we? Can we do that? First of all, look at verse 24. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Think of a cowboy. Now, you know my father-in-law is a cowboy. My brother-in-laws are both cowboys. They got the hats. They they got the not just 10-gallon, they got the 20-gallon, 15-gallon. They'd walk around. Their head's too big to fit inside, but that's another whole other matter, another issue, and don't you tell them that when they come. My father-in-law walks around. He jumps on his horse. The last thing he does before he jumps on his horse, he puts on his spurs. Why does he put on his spurs? He doesn't give us spurs. We jump on the horse. I've just got my boots, maybe my tennis shoes. And we're trying to, come on. You're kicking the horse. Tori had this one horse she used to ride all the time. Jazzy. Loved that horse, didn't you, Tori? Why did she love the horse? Because it would not go fast. No matter how much you kicked the horse, except for Tori, it would walk at about two miles an hour. If we went on a trail ride, Tori was at the back of the line. And if another girl rode the horse, it was even further back. Tori was one of the only ones that could even make the horse go at all. It liked her for some reason. They would jump on Jazzy, and it was just you'd kick it, and you'd kick her, and you're sitting there, come on, come on, come on. It wouldn't go. You ever ridden a horse that was stubborn like that? That's why my father-in-law wears his spurs. He jumps on his horse. The horse knows what to do. Because he knows if he doesn't, he's not going to kick it hard. You don't, if you've got spurs on, you don't have to kick it hard. You just kind of little tap, and the horse goes, oh, I didn't like that. Oh, that didn't feel good. Oh, okay, I'll get on down the road, right? See, as believers, we're called to spur one another on. Stir one another on, the Bible calls it. But spur one another on, another one on could be another modern way of thinking of it. As we encourage one another, we spur one another on to good, to love and good works. 
to do better in our lives. When you encourage one another, you see one another, say, man, you're doing an awesome job. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep pressing on. Keep spending time in God's Word. There's a reason why at the beginning of the, every year, pa- every pastor in the country gets up and goes, we need to spend more time in God's Word this year. Because we, they know that by February or March, everybody's going to be going, yeah, that was good last month. And then they come back around in April. We need to be spending more time in God's Word. And then, oh yeah, I need to get back to doing that again. And we encourage, and we motivate, and we challenge, we motivate, and we encourage, and we challenge, we motivate, and encourage, and we spur to continue motivating our churches to continue doing what God, we know God wants us to do. Because we know human nature, and God knows human nature, that we need the encouragement to continue moving forward. So when the Bible says to come together, Part of the reason he wants us to come together is so that we can encourage one another to continue in love and good works. To continue doing those things that we know we need to be doing as the body of Christ. If we just came together on Sunday mornings and said, Hi George, hi Frank, hi Mary, hi Sue, nice to see you this morning. We'll sing a few songs, la la la, listen to the words of the pastor, then we're they're out of here. We wouldn't get very far in our spiritual walk, would we? See, it's about us living together every single day, texting each other, emailing each other, calling one another, challenging and encouraging one another to continue moving forward in our Christian walk. Satan wants to get, get us complacent. And if he can get you complacent, he can get you powerless. He can get you doing nothing. The first thing he does is to get you, oh, this thing is so, so long. The words are so small on the page. I can't see them anymore. You start playing trombone. And you're trying to read it. You know, and, and I need to get, uh, you get to start getting the large print Bible. And then after a while, you're, you're putting that down or you get eye troubles. And, well, I'm going to get a computer one. And you make the words, and the Lord said to, on the screen, I picked this up, Regina goes, how can you read that on Sunday mornings? So, well, because I've got it written in here a little bigger, <laughs> you know. And if I need to turn to something, I can, but then i got to pull a little closer. The first thing Satan tries to do is to keep us away from his word and away from God's people. I used to tell the teens that I worked with in South Korea, that I could tell where they were going to be in five years. I could look at their lives and tell where they were going to be in five years from now spiritually based on a couple of criteria. Based on what they're listening to, what kind of music they listen to, what they read, what books they read, what movies and TV shows they watched, but also who they hung out with on a regular basis. Those four things really determine our spiritual walk. What are we reading? Are are we filling our mind full of garbage all the time? Or are we supplementing the garbage with righteousness? 
There's nothing wrong with reading a good book that just has no value at all, eternal value at all. But you've got to fill your mind regularly with God's Word. It's, no, it's no, nothing wrong with listening to a good pop song or a good Broadway musical or good, my girls are like, yes, Broadway. Or whatever music you like, country western. Well, there is something wrong with some country western. I'll just put that out there right there. There's nothing wrong with listening to good music from time to time if you're supplementing it with something righteous and godly and filling your mind and letting it fill your mind and teach you and encourage you. There's nothing wrong with watching a movie or a TV show that you just enjoy watching and say, oh, what's the storyline going what's, what's to happen? I want to see what this character does. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're filling your mind to letting other stuff come in as well. There's nothing wrong with having friends outside of the church who are not involved in church. But if that's all you hang out with, you're not letting the body of Christ come together to encourage you as well. See, because we are called to come together and encourage and challenge one another. Life is better together. Life is better lived together. One of the things that we have going on in our church on a regular basis, I would really like to encourage you to consider praying about joining as one of our small groups. In the back of your bulletin, there are a number of small groups listed there, and they're not just there because we like to take up ink on the back of our bulletin. We need to fill space. They're there because we want to encourage you to get involved in living life together. Because we know, and it's not just a Bible study. See, the small groups that, that meet here on church on Sunday nights or they meet in here on Monday nights or they meet up here on Wednesday nights or meet a ladies group that meets on Thursday mornings, it's not just coming together to have a Bible study. Anybody can have a Bible study. You can tune in online and have a Bible study. You can read a book and have a personal Bible study. It's about coming together with others in the body of Christ and you wrestle through some of these issues together and you cry with one another and you rejoice with one another and you come together to live life together because life is better lived together. Let's watch this real quick. It's couches and porches and kitchen tables. It's stories shared and moments worth remembering. It's hoping and praying and taking chances. It's jokes and laughter and shoulders to cry on. It's questions and answers and I don't knows. It's knowing you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. It's messy and imperfect. It's giving and serving and growing better together. It's life, and we weren't meant to do it alone. Life is better together. Find a life group that's right for you today. Is that not so true? I'm not saying you only have to be involved. You can only be involved in one of the life groups that we have in our church, that are a part of our church. I know some of you go to other small groups that you're a part of, and that's great. I don't really care. I do care that you are involved or not involved. That's really the point. If you have a small group, you have a life group that you are plugging in with and you're living life together with these other people and you're, because we don't maybe offer one that, you, uh, that fits your qualifications or the, your age group or whatever, that's fine. But I want to encourage each and every one of you to find a small group, to find a life group somewhere. We call them life groups here, but you can call them small groups, call them connect groups, call them whatever. And you plug into one of these groups. 
And you begin living life together with these people. Because we are not called to live life alone. Number two, you need to make it a habit. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. We're called to make it a consistent habit in our lives. That's what the author is saying. That's what God is saying. Being together, living life together, worshiping together. For those of us who are of the kingdom of God, those of us who are called by Christ, who have been had our lives transformed and changed, we're called and being commanded to not neglect being with one another. I look forward to Sunday mornings, not because it's my job. I look forward to coming and worshiping with you. I look forward to coming and sitting in the Bible study class at 9 o'clock because I want to learn. I want to be around others. I, I look forward to coming and having coffee with others before Sunday school starts, before the Bible study time starts, and just chewing the fat and getting to know and encouraging. I, I look forward to going to these men's retreats and to couples' retreats and other things because I look forward to spending time with my brothers and sisters in Christ to not neglect our time. I know on snowy days it's hard to get out sometimes. And two weeks ago there was like two or three inches on the ground. and That's okay that we missed from time to time. But he, these authors saying here, don't make it a habit. For many of us, the habit is, oh, my hair's out of place, I can't go. Oh, I didn't get breakfast this morning. Oh, or for our, our family, the favorite excuse is there's a tree in the front yard. If you're going to make a bad excuse, you might as well make it a really bad excuse, right? Oh, the tree in the front yard stopped me from going. The tree in the front yard, the leaves were falling out of the trees, and so I couldn't go to church. I couldn't go to this activity. I couldn't plug in. I couldn't go across the street to encourage my, my neighbors because of the tree. We're going to find an excuse, aren't we? We're going to make an excuse, aren't we? If we're, we don't want to do something, just say, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to go to the men's retreat. Because I just don't want to go. Fine. I don't want to get involved with small groups. I just don't want to get involved with small group. Not fine. <laughs> I'm not comfortable sharing my innermost thoughts and feelings. Well, then don't. I'm not saying you have to go there and throw all your garbage out on the table. But as we come together, I don't know about you guys, but I love spending time with the body of Christ. I like to make it my habit to spend as much time with the body of Christ as I can because this is where I find my encouragement. This is where I get challenged in my faith. It's you guys challenge me. My kids challenge me. My wife challenges me. But the body of Christ, I need you. And I hope you need us as well to come together. And we're all different. But that's part going into number three. Well, John Wesley says this before I get on. John Wesley said, Christianity is not a religion for solitude and the solitary. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Even in the Old Testament, God set up rules for his people to worship together. 
Not for this family to go off all by themselves and to never communicate. And for this person to go off by himself and never really come around. He made rules for the whole his, for his people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, to come together and worship together the one true God. To come together to study. He, had, he set up whole patterns and whole segments of the people to come together and to study together, to learn together, to get around together, to not be alone. Lastly, to extravagantly living in community. We're all different. We've all got different backgrounds, different habits, different patterns, different likes, different dislikes. But look at why he pulls us together. At the very end of verse 25, he says, encouraging one another and all the more, don't, don't look over that passage, that part right there, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So often the pattern for some people is, I'm going to come and then not come for a long time. Then I'm going to come for sure. Oh, I need to get back in church and I'm not going to come. The author here is saying all the more, make it more of a pattern, make it more of a habit in your life to get around and get engaged in community. To get plugged in where you can all the more. Now, I, I've always kind of glossed over that one little phrase. You read in, in, in Bible college and seminary, they always talk about I mean, this, is how, this is why we know we need to get together as the body of Christ in church. You know, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And they stop there. But the author goes on, he says, continue doing it, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As it gets closer and closer and closer to Christ coming back, you, we should be meeting more and more and more and more and more together to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to lift one another up because this is where we find our strength, together. Worshiping together, growing together, serving together, learning together, struggling together, rejoicing together as the body of Christ. I'm not, we're not the finger of Christ. I'm not the ligament of Christ, the eyeball of Christ, the eyelash of Christ, the eyebrow of Christ, the tongue of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is not complete without you. Can I say that again? The body of Christ, Mount States Baptist Church, the body of Christ is not complete without you. You make us complete. Just like when I got married, my wife completed me. God gave me a beautiful creature to come and complete me and to give me what I needed. You complete this body. Find a way, plug in, get involved as much as you can. You complete us. And then go out to the highways and byways. I love this verse. Luke 14, 23 says, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and byways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And what that tells me is there's still place for other people. There's place that needs, there's seats that are empty that need to be filled. And I'm not just talking about the second row. 
there are places and there are people who need to hear about the gospel. And then it's up to us to go out to the highways and byways, go out to the hedges, and compel them to come in. It means I need to be willing to step out of my comfort zone to go across the street to my Hispanic neighbor and say, I want you to come to my church. I want to share Jesus with you. I want to encourage you to get involved. To go to my neighbor down the street who I've only met once and to be willing to step out and well, I don't really know them that well and knock on the door and I get to know them a little bit. I'm not saying you've got to invite them to church the very first time. I'm saying you go and you begin to develop a relationship with people and then you begin compelling them to come to Jesus. You compel them, you compel them, you compel them as if their life depends on it. Because it does. Maybe not in this world, but the life to come. Remember last week we talked about not living for the spot, not living for the point, not living for the period, but looking to the end. We give and we give and we give of our finances, not because we want to feel good right now, but because we look at the end result. We look down the road. The people who gave 60 years ago to help start Mount States Baptist Church, at that time, Mount States Baptist Temple, they gave not knowing what's going to happen 60 years later. They gave not knowing that we were going to need a building two years ago. They gave with future returns in mind. When we go and we give of ourselves to our neighbors, we give ourselves to one another, we go and we get involved in a Bible study, we get involved in taking over a ministry, in teaching kids in children's church, or you teach one of these kids' Sunday school classes, we give not for the moment, but we give so that this young child, his, his or her life might be transformed for the future. We give of ourselves I begin praying for one another. I begin praying, getting on my knees for you because I don't know what God's going, doing in your life. I don't know what struggles you're going through right now. So as I get on my knees and pray for our church each week, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But God does. And we live life together in that way. And we encourage and challenge one another in that way. And we get into our quiet place in that way. And we make prayer a habit in our lives and praying for one another and going through that prayer calendar that Karis put together a few weeks ago, and you go through that list and you begin praying, and you're praying, and you're praying because we're a, we are a part of one another. We are a part of one another. You complete me, and I complete you. We complete the body of Christ. Do whatever it takes. You know what? Cottonwood Lakes has been given to us to impact. This area, Cottonwood Lakes out here and across the street, this has been given to us, to Mount States Baptist Church, to go and make an impact. This is our Jerusalem. It's up to us to make an impact. The neighborhood where you live has been given to you personally to make an impact. That neighbor across the street who drives you crazy because they don't clean up their trash or they don't do their leaves like you think they should or whatever reason, 
that person's been given to you to make an impact. Your coworkers, the ones you love and the ones you hate, that job you love or that job you hate has been given to you to be used by God to compel them to come, to compel them to come. Those co-workers, those neighbors, this community has been given so we might compel them to come. Because I love the last, last part of that verse, that my house, my house may be filled. That my house may be filled. So the body of Christ, so we might live a richer, more vibrant Christian walk. This morning, as we complete this series on developing spiritual gifts, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you loving Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? Are you spending time praying for others, praying for one another? Have you considered fasting, making that a regular part of your life so that we can have breakthroughs within our, within our church, within our body, the body of Christ? We can find spiritual breakthroughs and see God work miracles and do some great and mighty things. Have you considered how he may be wanting you to give to his causes here locally and globally? And maybe this morning you're being challenged to get more involved in living life together. I don't know where, where God's, how God's spoken to you over the last five weeks. I don't know where God has you in your spiritual walk. Some of you have an idea, but not all of you. And some people, like I said, we're good at putting out barriers and we're good at hiding things. And maybe this morning I hope and pray that God's chinking away at your wall. He's just chinking away at your wall. so that we might become more vulnerable with one another. Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as we go to the Lord in prayer. And just before I pray...